Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week and I haven't met yet, my name is Zach, and uh, I'm going to be preaching for Rob tonight, and uh, I'm, I'm just, yeah, God is so good, Amen. and I'm really excited to hear from him tonight. So uh, yeah, um, Acts chapter 3, let's uh, pray before we dive in, uh, implore of the Lord. Father, God, we love you, but more importantly, you are so in love with us. God, we want to elevate your love for us far more than our love for you. God, it is your love that defines us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much, God, for your cross. And, And Father, I just pray your cross would be on the forefront of our minds in the resurrection that we now live in. Father, show us something in your word. Lord, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but Lord, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is all about you and what you do. Holy Spirit, you get your own book. And so, Father, uh, I pray that you would uh, use the Holy Spirit, use your spirit to elevate Christ in our lives. We love you. You love us, God. And so just unify us tonight as we, as we seek you in your word. We love you. Do something awesome tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 3, we're going to go through the entire chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter right now, but we're going to be going through it. So keep your Bible with you. Buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be fun. And so we're going to start at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read about the first 10 verses. And so it says right here, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Guys, this is right after, as we learned last week, the day of Pentecost happened. And so right after the day of Pentecost, as we learned last week, the Holy Spirit descended upon all of the disciples. The disciples, Jesus left and he said, hey, it's better that I leave. It's better that the Christ leave so I can give you my spirit. We learned last week that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and through us is the entire purpose behind the cross. That, that, that Christ would take on our dirtiness in exchange for his righteousness, he would put on us. And if we're righteous, we are now qualified to receive the Holy Spirit of power. And that's why Christ says, hey, it's better that I go. This was the plan all along. The plan all along was to give you my spirit, the source of my power. 
And so we learned last week and the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit, his sole purpose, his, not its, his sole purpose is to one, elevate the name of Christ. That is the Holy Spirit's sole purpose. And the first and foremost thing that he is concerned about is elevating the name of Christ above every name. His, his second role is to then unify the God of the universe with his creation that has rebelled against him. It says in many different passages of scripture that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit meets us in the middle. When we are weak, the Holy Spirit is then strong. When we don't know what to say in front of God, when we don't know how to interact with God, the Holy Spirit who knows our hearts and knows the heart of God will just unify us in that manner. And then we learn the third role of the Holy Spirit is to make community among believers. Community among believers. You see, we are saved individually, but not to individuality, as Pastor Mark would put it. We, you see, the, the Christian faith, it is not an isolated faith. Rather, rather it is a faith of community. Okay? So, so there's, there's no such thing as a Christian who kind of just, he knows Jesus, but he do, he's not really plugged into a church, right? That's, that's, that's just not a thing, okay? If you see those Christians that are kind of wanderers, drifters, and they're like, oh no, it's just me and Jesus, they're missing something, okay? They're missing the essential role that the Holy Spirit plays in the hearts of man, Right? We need community. So those are the Holy Spirit's roles. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, and thousands of people come to faith. Hallelujah. Now, that's great for Peter that he did that, right? Preach in front of a thousand people. Three thousand people just came to the Lord. Bam! Just like that. But not many of us get opportunities like that, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's awesome for Peter that the Holy Spirit used him in that way to bring thousands of people to Christ. But if we were to be, if most of us, there's some people in here that might get that opportunity. But really, most of us, it, it's not necessarily like we get an opportunity to preach in front of thousands of people. But that's what I love about this passage, that Peter and John, now in Paris 2, they, they come into just a one-on-one interaction with this man. Something that we all come in contact with, Right? So, so there's no more excuse. It's like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit used Peter. I'm not going to be preaching in front of a thousand people anytime soon, but guaranteed you are going to pass somebody like this sometime soon. You are going to pass somebody broken sometime soon, right? And so Peter and John are on their way to the temple. This was, there, there was the hour of sacrifice, right? Which was the eighth hour. And then in the ninth hour was the hour of prayer. Right, so they had the, the hour of sacrifice where they would do the temple sacrifices. Now, obviously, because of the new covenant that Jesus Christ is now the sufficient sacrifice, that Peter and John would not participate in that, right? They wouldn't par- be participating in the sacrifice of the temple because they have their almighty sacrifice, Jesus, right? But they do come for prayer, right? Because that is, that is, that is something that unifies even the Jews and, uh, and the Christian at this time. They're like, yeah, we're going to go and pray, you kidding me? And so they're on their way to pray. And so then this man interrupts them on their way to the temple. This man interrupts them on their way to the temple. So it wasn't exactly like Peter and John were looking for people. Does that make sense? It wasn't like they were out scouring, looking who they could heal. They were just on their way to pray. They were just on their way to be seeking God, right? They were just on their way, doing their business, seeking the Lord Almighty in prayer, in corporate 
prayer. You see, guys, as you're on your way to pursuing God, if you are living a pattern of life that is on its way to pursuing God, then there's going to be divine appointments all around you. See, 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 a lot of people are like, man, I really just don't get a lot of opportunities to do this type of stuff, to minister to people or to help people. That's probably because you're not living a lifestyle that's conducive to that, right? You see, if you're living a pattern of life that pursues the Lord, you're going to have people around you that you're able to minister to. And so that's kind of a gauge. I'm not going to judge you and your spirituality. That is, that is just a gauge for you, scripturally. If you are pursuing God, people are going to come around you that you have opportunities to help, right? So that could kind of be a gauge for you and your spirituality. Okay, I just, came, I just came to know the Lord. Okay, I'm pursuing him in his word. I'm pursuing him in prayer and a corporate worship. I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of live a pattern of life that glorifies him. And so if, if you are truly doing that, there's going to be people that come to you and interrupt you, interrupt you on your way to church even, right? And, 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 and so this is only if you're on the path to pursuing God and his righteousness, and his favor. They're on their way to seek the will of God. You see, here's the thing. All throughout scripture, God only really wants one thing. He just wants you to want him. He just wants you to want him. And so as you're going to seek him, he's going to throw things your way, right? So it's not like you have to muster up all these ministry opportunities. If you're just seeking him, they're going to come. They're going to come. Now, now here's the thing. Some people don't get opportunities because they're not pursuing God. Other people don't get opportunities to minister to people because they're too focused on getting to church on time. And, and here's what I mean. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of getting to church on time and the full experience of worship, right? I'm all for that. What I mean when I say that is that we can be so church-focused that we stop being Christ-focused, Okay, we could be so just, I got to get to my Bible study. I got to get to my small group or, you know, I got to get to cleaning this or doing that. And we're only focused on that. And there's people at our jobs and there's people in, in, our, in our schools that need our help. But we kind of just ignore because we only see faith in the church, the building. You know what I mean? And so some people miss the opportunities because they're not pursuing God. And other people miss the opportunities because they're not pursuing God in the correct way. Does that make sense? That it's not churchianity, right? And, and so the church is more than the four corners of this building. This is where you come to get equipped. This isn't the only place your spirituality exists, right? This is where Pastor Rob and myself and Pastor Mark and Pastor Brett and Pastor John, this is where all of us equip you to go out there, right? So this is not where the church exists, really. This is kind of just the armory, right? This is the armory. We arm you. You go out there. Out there is where the church exists. All right? It says in 1 Corinthians that you are temples of the Holy Spirit. If you are temples of the Holy Spirit, that means you replace the tabernacle. You replace the temple, right? The temple that that was once the place where all the worship would occur now exists in you. Meaning that God doesn't exist just in the church, right? In the four corners of this building, right? He exists wherever you go, right? And so some people, they miss it because they're not pursuing God. Some people miss it because they only see God existing in one place, right? And it says in verse 4, Acts chapter 3, verse 4, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. 
Now, guys, this man, lame from birth, right? Lame from birth, you, could bet, you better believe he expects two things out of life, right? This man guaranteed expects two things. He's been lame from birth, we learn in Acts chapter 4, I, think, I believe verse 22. In Acts chapter 4, verse 22, I believe, we learn that he's, he's 40 years old. So that's 40 years of being lame, okay? That's 40 years of not being able to walk, right? So you better believe that he has expected two things his entire life. He is always expected to not be looked at as an equal. Always, especially in the culture back then. He is always expected not to be treated as an equal. He's always on the floor. No wheelchairs, okay? No wheelchairs back then. He cannot meet anybody at eye level. You know how demeaning that is? You know how demeaning that must be? I mean, not that people probably weren't nice to him. I bet plenty of people gave him change. But to not really be able to look somebody eye to eye. To not feel like you're equal with anybody. He lived 40 years of that. Because before, they would just crawl on the floor and use their hands. to get everything. There's no wheelchairs to kind of at least get them up to decency. Just always on the floor. He's either being carried somewhere by somebody. A fo- Guys, if you're an adult in here, how humiliating. 40 years old, just having to be carried everywhere. And, 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 and so you, could ex- you better believe that he was constantly expecting to be looked down upon. He was also used to getting handouts his entire life, right? And it's not like, oh, that freeloader. No, it's like it's, it's, he can't work, right? He, he can't work. He was used to getting everything handed to him, not because he's, not because he's just some like meal ticket guy. He's, he's just, he can't work. He has no legs, no functioning legs. He has to sit there and beg. Okay, he has to sit there. No wheelchairs, no means of job equality, right? There was no like him going into an interview and and people not being able to discriminate against him. He just he literally couldn't do anything. So he was used to his entire life having to get handouts. He couldn't work for anything. He couldn't. And and so in verse five, it says, so we gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now, this is a very important moment as we read this passage. So I want you guys to really tune in. This is a very, very, it's called what we call in communication studies, it's a bifurcation moment. A bifurcation moment is a moment where we are able to change the way we see this situation, right? We have to make this this mental switch in our heads to be like, okay, I could either think this way or I could think this way. And so this is a very important moment in this passage where he's saying, expecting to receive something from them. Now, we have to make sure we see this. Because scripture doesn't justify our opinions or our worldviews. It forms them, right? Okay, so you don't use the Bible. Like, racists will use the Bible to, be ra- to, just to justify their racism, right? Homophobes will just use the, the Bible to justify that. Right? It's just, it's just a constant justification of their, already, their worldview. Right? But the scripture forms our worldview. So we have to look for those. It's a good word to use. Bifurcation moments where we look. Okay, this is where my thoughts are going to form. Okay? Now it is easy at this moment to look at Peter and John as the heroes of this passage. Just like in the story of David and Goliath, it's really easy to see David as the hero of the passage. Just like in the story of Exodus, it's really easy to see Moses as the hero of the passage. 
Just like in Daniel and the lion's den, it's easy to see Daniel as the hero of this passage. Listen, because I do this all the time. You are not David. And your problems aren't Goliath, right? Jesus is David and sin is Goliath, right? You are not Moses leading the captives out of captivity. Jesus is Moses leading us out of captivity from sin. We need to make sure we understand that we do not deify the characters of the Bible and relate to them ourselves. We need to make sure that Jesus is constantly the hero of Scripture. That he is the one doing the healing. And these people, in their imperfections, are being used by God. But Christ is the hero of this passage. And so you need to look out for those bifurcation moments in when you read Scripture. You need to make sure that you're not relating too much to the heroes of the Bible, but rather you are relating with their weakness and the way God used them in it. Right? And the way Christ is all throughout the Old Testament as well. And he is the image of the Savior. Right? And so it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. This is such a good moment. This is such a rich moment. Because we see here Peter and John saying, Listen, I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing. I have got nothing for you. The apostles don't have any gold and silver. What this man is looking for, they do not have. Now, you may be looking for something from God. You may be looking for something from other people. That doesn't mean you're entitled to it. You may be praying for something. You may be desiring something from other people or from God. But ultimately... People around you are just as depraved as you are. And God in his own timing is going to give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. You may expect things from people. That doesn't mean they should give it to you. And all the pastors in here will agree. We come in interaction with people that just want to be temporarily fixed. But they don't want to be healed. They want to be provided for, but they don't want to be transformed. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know what that pretty much translates as? It pretty much translates as, Oh, how happy are those who know they truly have nothing. Oh, how happy are those that have come to this grand realization that they really don't have anything going for them. But oh, how happy are those because they can then be filled with the entirety of God's power. There are some of us that are like this lame man. We're unable to help ourselves. Helpless. Can't do anything on our own. Then there's some of us that are like Peter and John, helpless to help others. And so we're either helpless to help ourselves or we're helpless to help the people around us. And so that you can identify with, right? We have to make sure not to elevate Peter and John. Oh, how grand their faith. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit that works in them. 
And, and, and it is their lack that defines what they get to be filled with. You see, there's some of us that are like the layman. There are some of us that are like Peter and John. The point is, both parties are helpless. And I say that with a smile on my face. Because blessed are those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He has no legs. They have no gold. Not much can happen here. Right? Neither of them bring anything helpful to the equation. Right? Peter and John have no gold. He has no legs. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, like those people outside of Target. Sorry, it's my debit card. I have no change for you. You know, you got, oh, yeah, I know you do it too. Stop it. In Ecclesiastes 9, in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 2, it says, It is the same for us all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, is saying this. People that lived a super good life, people that lived a super bad life, people who always went to church, people who never went to church, people who did everything right, people who did nothing right. The pastors, the drug addict, like everybody across the board, nothing. At the end, they all die, right? Level playing field, this life we live. So, so listen, we're all unable to help ourselves. And we're all unable to help others, truly. We can give handouts, right? Whether you materially have wealth or not, we're all born to the same fate. Death. That's depressing, but it's necessary to know. We must forsake, guys. We must, 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 must forsake the Messiah complex inside of us. And what I mean by the Messiah complex is that we must forsake this thought that the world is our responsibility to save. We got to forsake that. We, we've got to put that aside. We have got to put aside that the salvation of people around us and the healing of those around us is totally dependent on our merit and what we do and do not do. This is also true for the culture around us. We, we, we cannot make it just this responsibility to muster up this, this righteousness out of our own selves. We got to take cues from Peter and John here in verse 6. So everyone go to verse 6. Forgive me if I'm sniffling. I have a cold. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. So, so Peter says, hey, I have nothing for you. And I could just imagine the smile on Peter's face when he says, you're asking for gold and silver. I got nothing, man. Jesus made me give that up when I followed him. I haven't gained it back since. Probably won't, right? <laughs> and so he's saying, Jesus took all my change. 
Now I'm realizing why. I'm realizing why I was told to give up everything. I'm realizing why I had to forsake my job. I'm realizing why I had to forsake all my money. I'm realizing why now that I had to be poor in spirit. I'm now realizing what it means to pick up my cross and follow Christ because, listen, I'm dead. I'm a dead man talking to a dead man. I have nothing for you. I have no gold. I have no material possessions to help you. I have no wheelchair. I can't take you. I can't, I'm not a doctor. I can't heal you. But then he says, but what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. So many people are looking to be provided for. Not many people want to be healed. If Peter and John sought to provide for this man, they probably could have. They probably could have said, do you know what? I got no gold or silver, but do you know what? Let me just go ask around for you. You know, you're not mobile. I am. I could just go walk around and, and help you. Peter and John were smarter than that. They saw past the physical, uh, just the, the immediate needs of this man to just get bread. They recognized that his soul was at stake. But what I do have, I give you. But what I do have, I give you. It was... um. One of the, uh, he was a Spanish philosopher and theologian, Lesor. He, he said, it is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. Sometimes we lack resources, we lack abilities, connections, relationships, health, whatever it is. Some of you, and myself included, have lived our entire lives kind of looking at the lacks we have. I lack money. I lack this type of relationship in my life. I lack a good job. I lack charisma. I lack this. I lack that. Now, this is really dangerous if we just look at the lacks and seek to fix those lacks. If we are needs-based and not call-based, that's going to be really, really hard for us. I have no money, therefore I must acquire money for the kingdom of God, right? And it could be out of a good heart and good intentions. I have no blank, so I must do blank to get that, right? Even if it is for the kingdom of God. So I have no money to tithe. Man, I'm making like $100, uh, I'm making $100 a week or something. I'm making $100 a month. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I, I'm making very little money right now, so I really can't tithe what I have. I got to make more money before I tithe. You see, if you're focusing on the lack, you're going to just be falling into idolatry. There was a story about a, a humble monk, and uh, he was walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal. Um, at the time in the Middle Ages where the Roman Catholic Church was in the zenith of power. Uh, they, were the, they were just at the total top. They were, they were on top. They were sky high. The Catholic Church was doing super well, prestige and wealth and all of that. And the cardinal pointed to, the, to his surroundings. He pointed at his beautiful, uh, his beautiful cathedral. And he, he just pointed out everything. And he pointed out how all the people are fed. And he says, and he said to the humble monk who had forsaken everything in order to help the sick and poor, he said to the monk, he said, isn't it great that us as a church no longer have to say 
silver and gold I do not have. Isn't that great? The monk then replied, but neither can you say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. If we're needs-based and not Christ-based, people are going to be provided for. Yeah, people will be fed. Yeah, the culture around us may seem morally upright because they're correcting the rules. Man, if we're not Christ-based, we've given them nothing. The absence of what we don't have should cause us to realize what we do have. In my absence of a certain type of skill, in my absence of a certain type of relationship or financial situation, my absence of that should cause me to see the sustainer of my life and soul, Christ. In verse 8, it says, So leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Do you know what I love about this? This man is leaping up for joy and praising God in front of everybody in the temple. Woe to the man who's been healed by Christ and does not leap for joy and let people know what God's done for them. Woe to the man who keeps his light under the basket and refuses to be a part of the city set upon a hill for a light in the, in the town of darkness. Woe to that person. Woe to that person who is ashamed of the redemptive work of the cross. And do you know what I love about this? It says in Acts 4.22, like I said, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, that this man had been lame for 40 years. So for, let's say for even at least 20 years, he's been at that gate every single day, right outside the temple, right? That means Jesus passed by him a few times and didn't heal him. Ooh. Isn't that crazy? This man leaps up, immediately goes, runs into the temple and praises God. But listen, Peter and John, they came came up to this guy and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man could have said, whoa, don't take my hand. Jesus walked by me time and time and time again as he would go to preach in the temple, as he would go to make sacrifices, as he would go to the hour of prayer, just as you guys were going. Jesus Christ of Nazareth would pass by me. He'd heal everybody around me, but he didn't pay attention to me. Oh, it would be so easy for this man to stay bitter. You see, when God doesn't do exactly what we want him to do at the exact time that we want him to do it, somehow we feel like we're entitled We feel like we have a right to get mad at God because he decided to wait a little. So this man, he probably struggled with bitterness that God didn't heal him right away. You got to believe you've been lame for 40 years watching everybody pass by you. You got to believe this man struggled with bitterness, jealousy, anger, confusion. Why, God, did you make me this way? God didn't heal him right away. He knew about Jesus. You've probably seen Jesus walking. Everybody knew about him. He f- people came in thousands following him into the temples. You better believe he probably shouted Christ's name. 
heal me. Unable to walk to him. Just hobbling about with this huge crowd. But now, the crisis healed him. He doesn't give a giver, right? He doesn't care. He doesn't care how long God waited. Now he is healed. Also, woe to the person who gets healed by God and says, God, it's about time, right? I've been waiting for this. Why didn't you do this sooner? If you've truly experienced the healing power of Christ, you don't care what happened before. You don't care about that. God heals you at the exact time he wants to heal you. There's such a big danger in expecting things from God. As if you you have a better plan than he does. As if you have some suggestions as to how he should run your life. Right? I say this jokingly, but also in a serious way, because a lot of my prayers reflect a desire to control. A lot of my feelings of anger or bitterness or jealousy or confusion, a lot of these are stemmed from just a not wanting to be God, but wanting to tell God how he should be God. Now as the lame man, verse 11 now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I love that. How he just, he kind of jumped around and he's like, What do I do now? <laughs> like, I don't know how to operate in this society. Those guys are the ones that heal me. I'm just going to, like, you know, I'm just going to chill there because I don't even know where to walk, you know? And so he's, just, it says he's, he's leaning on Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us, as though by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? (laughs) Peter starts to see people. He starts to look at people. And he starts to see them and the look on their faces. Just the jaw-dropped, eyes-wide, looking at Peter and John. He could probably see some of them like, you know? It says that a lot of people wanted to fall on Peter's shadow that they may be healed. And so, so you, can, you can just imagine just all these people gawking at Peter and John, just amazed. And I think, I, it doesn't say this, guys, but I, I think that Peter, when it, he said he saw them, how they were looking at him, I think he kind of saw the same look in their faces that he used to give towards Jesus when he performed miracles. You know, he's like, oh, I know that look. That's the look they used to give Jesus. Bifurcation moment. You could either see those looks of admiration and awe that people have for anything, any good deed you do or any, uh, any uh, success you may have. Anytime you help somebody in need you're going to get this look of like, oh. and you, you have to have that cognitive thought. You have to have that bifurcation moment. You have to have that moment where you switch your thinking to say, that look belongs to Jesus. That look belongs to Christ. So you have the moment to either receive that worship 
or give it back and direct it to where it's supposed to be. Peter denies. I love this. I love this. He sees this look of amazement and he immediately just says, look here, look at my eyes, look at my eyes. Look up. He's just like, you know? And he's like, why are you surprised by this? Jesus healed when he was here. You think that he would be limited, you know? He healed here, of course he's going to heal now. Like he healed then, he's going to heal now. He's going to keep doing it. And for those of us American Christians who don't believe that healing still happens, I'm just going to tell you, deny yourself, go do something else for somebody for a change, maybe go to another country, and then get back to me and tell me that you don't believe in miracles, okay? All right? Because I've seen stuff, right? I'm going to call you out just a little bit. You don't believe in miracles, you don't believe that healing still happens, stop thinking about yourself, start living like Jesus did, you'll realize miracles happen, right? Come to a prayer meeting on Sunday nights, pray over people, watch as they come back the next week healed. It happens to the glory of God, to the glory of Jesus, it happens. Peter denies all involvement of this man's healing. Just, he denies having anything to do with it, right? He denies having anything to do with it, and he just gives Christ all the honor. Guys, this is so convicting to me. This is so convicting to me. You see, I want glory for what I do. Don't know we all kind of want glory for what we do, Right? We kind of want some sort of recognition for the good things we do. Guys, I will like mop the floor for my roommates and just want all this like attention, right? I'll do something as small as wash my roommates dishes and then kind of just like sit there, like washing them, holding it up as I put it into the dishwasher, just like, you know, kind of getting it across the light so it like shines across when he's sitting on the couch. Ah, your glass right here. You know, I want glory for the good, even the smallest little things that I do, I just want to be recognized for it. And think about how tempting it must have been for the apostles, apostles, to just think about how tempting that would have been to just immediately, like Jesus is gone, our time, right? And, you know, we could say all we want, oh no, I would never do that, you know? I love Christ far too much, right? But come on, that's tempting. That is tempting. It's hard to like do something for your spouse and not kind of at least want some acknowledgement, right? Just a little bit. It's hard to do something for your family members or your friends and not just want a little thank you. Little, I can't believe you're so sweet to me. That, you know? You know, we want that. We crave that. We kind of crave this affirmation in this worship. So think on such a global scale, the temptation it was for the apostles to just want it all. But they didn't. In fact, we're just going to read the rest of the chapter with, guys, just read this with me. Read this with me, please. I'll read it. You guys don't have to be out loud because that'll just be weird. But I want you guys to follow along with me. Like, after, like, ten verses, we start to sound like a cult, I feel like. You know, so. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob, this is Peter preaching, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's talking about Barabbas. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses in his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong, this man who couldn't walk before, whom you see and and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer has been fulfilled. Repent, therefore, And be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, all the prophets, from Samuel to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Guys, this is the same man, Peter, who denied Jesus in front of a little girl. This is the same same Peter who was called Satan by Jesus. This is the same Peter who in a moment of rage cut off a man's ear. This was the same Peter that continually and continually just put his foot right up his mouth. This man so eloquently preached the gospel to these people and bringing thousands of people I was at a conference for young leaders. Um, you know, a few of us, we went to this one conference. It was just about, you know, finding your calling as a young leader because there's a new generation of leaders rising up. You guys would be encouraged to see how many young people are devoted to the future of the church and Christ's bride. You guys would be so encouraged to see all of these young men and women who are so devoted to giving their entire lives to serve the gospel of Jesus. And there was, there was a pastor who was preaching at this conference, and he said something so profound that I'd never heard before. You know, I, I was there, I was so full of pride. I'm just going to be real with you. I was so full of pride because there was a bunch of young people there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. You know, there's a bunch of people my age, and I got to, like, lead a small group and stuff. And I was so just puffed up with, like, yeah, I'm going to show these people, you know, what it looks like. I'm going to, like, teach them something, right? I I was so humbled there. God just, 
God, God humbled me hard. Because when this pastor spoke, a pastor that I admire, he said just three things that will resonate with me for the rest of my life. He said three things, guys. And I want, in all of this, as we look at how depraved Peter was, how he had no ability to help this man outside of God's power, you see the inability of this man to get up and walk himself. As you look at these people that are helpless in themselves, and, and you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do awesome things for the kingdom of God, I want you to remember these three things. That, man, it's going to take me a while to truly make them my lifestyle, but I'm going to try hard. And I'm going to implore the Lord, Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I could do this. Because I am weak and you are strong. But he said these three things. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Legacy is everything to us. Being known by people, wanting glory. But he said, preach the gospel, die to yourself, and be forgotten. You have nothing, and that's exactly where God wants you. You may be in this moment of I just, I, I'm at the end of myself. I don't know what to do. Finances aren't right. Uh, the kids, I, I, I just, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. That is an amazing and excellent moment to just preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, meaning every, everywhere you go, everything you do, just screams Christ. Die, meaning in arguments with people, in, in, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your parents, in your relationship with your children. Do what Christ did. Die to yourself. And be forgotten. Forget about your name. Forget about your legacy. Forget about being known by people. Because the more you decrease, the more Christ increases. The less you have to be heard, the less you have to be, your point needs to get across. You need to win that debate. The less you are in need of being known, the more Christ is going to be known in your life. So we're, we're going to just close in one last song. And, and Dana and I kind of, we talked about this song and we're just going to scream out hallelujah to our Savior. And we are poor and we are powerless. And that is exactly where God wants us. You're going to find so much fulfillment and contentment in the very fact that you just can't. But God can. I'm not that awesome, which makes it just so much better for Christ to be awesome in me to the degree of which you empty yourself will be to the degree of which you are filled by Christ. Less of you, more of him. It's a pretty simple equation. And anytime you get the opportunity to glorify yourself, elevate Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. But God, we do not define our relationship based on how much we love you. Oh no. 
You love us. God, we want to do things for you. We want to worship you. We want to bring glory to your name. But Christ, I would ask that you bring glory to your own name through your spirit. You are more able than I am. And I am poor and I am powerless. I am lost at times. I am lonely at times. I am without resource. I am without energy. I am I am without relationship. I am without all of these things that I believe I need to do things for you or do things for myself, God. And in the midst of all that, Lord, in the midst of the way we feel loss, whether we're like the lame man that can't, can't even get ourselves up to ask for help, or whether we're like Peter and John who see a world around us that needs help, but we have no ability to do so. I pray that in that moment we would just shout hallelujah because it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.